Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Moe of Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined by Tom O'Brien, one of the leading developers in the Boston area. He has a mega project in the works at the former site of Suffolk Downs in East Boston, and another at Bullfrench Crossing, the former site of the Government Center Garage. Welcome, Tom. How are you doing? I'm okay, Bruce. Thanks very much for having me. Let's start by taking your temperature, so to speak. This can't be a good time to be a developer with a lot of big projects on the table, or so it would seem, given what we've been seeing in COVID. How are you feeling right now? How's your temperature? My temperature's pretty uh, moderate. I mean, I honestly, it's a it's a very strange time. I mean, this is the strangest um, time I think I've ever experienced in my life, certainly in my adult life. Um, but we are fortunate in that for the projects that we have, our capital uh, providers, our investors, our partners are really strong institutional investors who believe in the projects and they believe in Boston. So there's no, uh, you know, no undue anxiety. There's no panic on our side. And everybody feels reasonably confident that as, uh, as the you know, society in general finds its way out of this uh, pandemic, that Boston will once again find itself in the midst of a really good uh, growth pattern um, and that the United States will kind of find its way back onto a good growth pattern as well. So, so I think in general, people feel okay. I am nervous, obviously. It's, um, it's very strange. I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll add one quick thought, you know, as I, as I think this through. When, whenever we've gone through very difficult um, uh, recessions as a city, one of the things that we could always count on was that the institutions would build projects during recessions. So hospitals and colleges, for the most part, would build their projects, their capital projects during a recession. They'd build dormitories, they'd build new hospital buildings, they'd take advantage of low interest rates, take advantage of perhaps some leveling off or some reduction in construction costs, and they would build through that recession, which would offer employment for the construction trades, offer good projects, and you know would really be an interesting way to move infrastructure forward for the city. When you think about what's happened in this pandemic, um, uniquely so, the hospitals have really uh, had a, a difficult time financially. I think they're doing better in the last you know, six months or so, but in the beginning of this, they were really in tough shape. And then the colleges you know, face a model now where um, if you look at, take a place like Harvard, you know, which for 350 years through civil war and world war and all the other crises that you can point to over the last 350 years, Harvard has always had, as far as I know, all four groups of students, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors on campus all the time, together with graduate students. And this year, for the first time, I think ever, in the entirety of the history of Harvard, there's only freshmen on campus. None of the other students are invited back. And that's true across the board for all the different colleges. Um, so it's, it's a very strange time. It's hard to read what will happen next uh, as we go through it. There's also this, um, particularly for your business, this concern that as we've gone through COVID, um, all businesses, a lot of businesses have had to adjust and start to work from home, work remotely. And I know you've heard this, but a lot of you know, people that rent office space are saying, hmm, maybe we don't need as much space as we thought we once did. Hmm. What are you hearing on that? And, and what are your thoughts? We're hearing a mix of thoughts. Um, I, I think for me, fundamentally, I kind of, when I look at my gut and I say, well, what does it really feel like? I think 
we have gone through a fundamental change in which it is now more conceivable that people will work on uh, in a more flexible manner. You know, when earlier in my career, for example, if you had said to your boss, I'm going to work from home for day for a day, that was largely frowned on. That was not really considered a true work day. Um, I think today what, what's clear is particularly for you know people with young families and the like, if there's a day or two that they want to work from home for a day and they can be productive from home, that flexibility is going to be important. But I think the workplace still serves as the place where there is uh, team building, the place where there is the true exchange of ideas, the place where particularly young people are mentored and where you create a, a sense of uh, you know, kind of what the culture is of the organization. So I still think there will be a substantial number of people in the workplace. And I think, um, you know, what will end up happening is it gets a little bit uh, difficult to manage, you know. So if you, if you take a law firm, let's say, and let's say the law firm says to itself, uh, okay, each of our lawyers will take probably one day and work from home. The challenge there is going to be, well, how do you set that up? because each of those lawyers, even though they'll be one day at home, will probably still have their own office, I think, for the most part. There are some accounting firms that have gone into what we call a hoteling uh, version of this, where uh, a partner in an accounting firm doesn't necessarily have a specific office. They walk in on the day that they'll be in the office, they're assigned an office and then given a you know, kind of a, a card or a code in which they plug into that office and all of their phone calls go to that office and that becomes their temporary office. I don't think that that, you know, works across all professions like lawyering and uh, uh, more finance and things like that. So I, I do think that there will be a need for office. I don't, I'm not, um, I'm not kind of part of the hand wringing crowd to say, boy, there's going to be a drastic reduction in office. I do think that the way people work will change, that's for sure, it will be more flexible, but we still fundamentally need offices, we need cities, because those are the places where people gather, that's where they collaborate, that's where we produce good ideas, that's where you know, we're able to converse with one another. That's, I think, still the future of uh, cities and office. So I wanna agree with you on the, on the big picture approach you take, but my gut sort of tells me that people also want to save money, I think. And they sort of say, hey, this, this has changed my attitude. Uh, I'm, I'm a perfect example of that. I didn't think uh, I could work remotely effectively as a reporter at all. And it's very different what I'm doing now, uh, but, but it is possible as long as other people are sort of buying into the same philosophy. So the governor has a, he's streaming his remarks and other people are getting on phone calls and it's happening more and more. Mm. And, and it, I think this is true in a lot of businesses. Um, and there's this financial savings that, hey, you know, Boston is a really expensive place to uh, have office space. So maybe we'll, you know, condense a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So I agree with you in a, in a big picture way that cities are important and going to the office is important. But I also sort of see that people are saying, well, maybe not as important as I thought. And I can save some money if I figure out a way around this. Yeah, I, I do agree. I, I do agree that it is. And I, and I was probably in the camp with you where I, I was really, I frowned on remote working, particularly for our organization. I really wanted everybody in the office because it was 
we felt that culture and how we operated and being good to one another and being kind to one another, being, you know, in the space together, that, that team approach was essential to who we are. I would say, you know, we've been completely remote, really, for the most part. I'm, I'm here in my office today, but um, every one of us has been completely remote since March 17th or so. And we've produced really great work. I mean, I, you know, we have a, a group of 40 people in our, in our team. Um, and uh, when I say remote, you know, some people went home, you know, there are people who, uh, whose parents live in Connecticut or New Jersey or Ohio or whatever, and they spent some months or Washington, D.C., they spent some months with their, their parents, you know, and uh, so they were truly remote. Um, and we've produced still great work. So I get that. I think a couple of things that we've begun to find, though, um, you know, one of the things we do, for example, Bruce, is um, as we're designing new projects uh, and we get to the interior spaces of those projects, then we conduct meetings in which we consider all kinds of different uh, materials and furniture and uh, pieces for the interior spaces of those of those projects. And typically what ends up happening is in a big room, we assemble all that material and we make decisions based upon the themes of what we want the building to feel like. And so we've had a couple of those meetings in which some people have been physically present in the room to, to participate in that. And some people have elected to Zoom for that, maybe for health reasons or maybe for, you know, whatever. What we found is the people who are on Zoom during a meeting when people are there present, it just doesn't work. You can't fully participate in as, as a Zoom you know, person while people are in the room. So I think what's gonna end up happening is those sorts of awkward situations are gonna drive this, this, you know, this kind of return to the office process. I think there may be true Zoom meetings that can be managed from home or from a remote spot, but fundamentally, if there will be in-person meetings, you're going to need to be there for an in-person meeting. It's Zooming for that is not going to work. Um, and personal contact is going to matter. Personal conversations are going to matter, all those sorts of things. So I think there will be more flexibility offered to people to you know, participate from a, a Zoom perspective. But I, I really fundamentally believe that the most effective meetings are going to be meetings that are held in person with real people and real conversations. Talk a little bit about, are you meeting with potential tenants of, uh, and, and, and are. people that are going through making this decision? And when you make your case to them or what are they saying? And are you having to design these office spaces differently? There's two aspects of that for us. Um, one is, you know, we're, we've delivered a residential building uh, in the midst of COVID. So we, we delivered a, um, uh, what we think is the best residential building in Boston, uh, the 100 Sudbury Street, which is um, here on our, our site, uh, that's 368 uh, apartment units with 55 condos on top. We realized early on that we need to do, needed to become a really great um, virtual organization in terms of showing those apartments virtually. So we've produced what we think is a really uh, strong, cutting edge uh, uh, virtual presentation for folks because we knew that people you know, couldn't just willy-nilly come and look at different apartments. They were certainly gonna go through a process where they would um, winnow things down and then come up with a, a list of a small number, one or two apartments that they would actually go visit. And we wanted to be on that list. So we created a really strong uh, process, virtual process for people to, you know, see the apartment, to understand what it's all about, all those sorts of things. And that's been successful for us in the apartment. So we've, we've leased, uh, you know, probably um, 
uh, we're, we're probably more or less on path with where we thought we would be in terms of leasing units in that in that building. Uh, and our condo sales process is starting to pick up a little bit now uh, too. Again, same thing where you don't really, you're not gonna be able to lock in a condo buyer until they physically see the property, but spending a lot of time making them feel comfortable with it virtually has been a, a key focus for us. In terms of office tenants, same kind of thing. We've we've spent a lot of time trying to create a, a virtual presence and presentation for office tenants. And so we have a very nice film. We have a very nice sense of what the building can look like. Uh, we can project all that out and, and spend a lot of time with people helping them feel comfortable with that. So all of the, the tenant uh, presentations that we've made have been uh, presentations uh, virtually. And we, again, have been very successful and have brought people along and actually have pretty good momentum on the leasing side as well for office. What are they saying though? Are they getting less space or are they, are they adopting your point of view that, you know, we're going to be through this in a little while and we'll be back to normal? It's a mix. Um, so, you know, half of our new office building will be occupied by State Street. So State Street is moving, is moving its executive team together with a group of finance related people, traders and the like uh, from one Lincoln where they're currently located. They're moving uh, that group to our building uh, and they'll be in our building beginning in, in 2023. We will complete that building by 2023. Um, so when we talk to State Street, State Street, you know, um, is very clear with us that they're taking up all of the space that they envisioned that they would take. Now, I think as a company too, they're very clear also that they've been able to manage the remote working environment very well for them as a company. And so that there can be some, you know, additional flexibility. I do hear from State Street that on, other spaces elsewhere in the country, uh, country, they may need less space from that perspective, but at least for our building with execs and finance people and all the rest of it, they're saying they need the same, at least the same amount of space, maybe a little bit more. They have options to take more. Um, in terms of the new tenants that we're considering right now, they still are going through a lot of uh, decision-making on how much space do they need. And, it, and it, you know, it falls into two large categories. There are some companies still that are saying, we actually might need more space because we have to have people more spread out than they had before. So while the watchword before might have been efficiency and grouping people close together, some of those companies now are saying, well, gee, we, you know, we feel like we need to space people out a little bit more, which means we may need more space. The bigger piece, though, is most companies are kind of thinking about, okay, you know, a law firm, for example, they're thinking about, okay, what is this really going to mean for us? What, what do we need for space? I think, too, part of that is they're struggling trying to figure out um, what will happen in the economy. You know, we've, we, we had the beginnings of a very difficult recession. The recession clearly affected uh, people who are uh, at the uh, at the lower third or so of the economic ladder, right? And those jobs that were filled by those folks that were retail jobs, hotel jobs, all those jobs, it's going to have a hard time those jobs coming back. And the question is, how is that going to work in our economy? What is that actually going to mean? Because it could mean a significant amount of underemployment um, as we go forward. Um, but I think for most of the law firm types and the finance types and things like that, there's not been, you know, uh, as much of a, uh, you know, kind of pressure on jobs. Um, it's a pretty heartbreaking thing to kind of watch and consider as we, as we watch what's happening in the economy right now. So those companies, I don't think, 
are considering large layoffs, they're really trying to think about, okay, what's the most efficient use of our space? How many people are going to be in it at the same time? Maybe there might be some moderate, moderate amount of layoffs, but, um, but for the most part, they're, they're trying to just consider how much space they're going to need as they go forward. I don't see them, though, saying that there's a drastic reduction. There could be some reduction, but not a drastic reduction, at least right now. And the, the example you gave earlier of uh, the possible, I think you used the example of an accounting firm or a law firm where they would, person would come in and maybe not have an, an assigned office, but yes. sort of go to a space and plug in somehow and then everything would be, it would sort of- Come to them. Is that an actual example that you're working on? Oh yeah, that exists today. So, um, uh, you know, PricewaterhouseCoopers probably was the lead company that thought about this in Boston, and they began that work probably 10 years ago or so, uh, and, uh, and they've continued with it, and there are other accounting firms that are like that. So accounting firms, I think, you know, see themselves as unique in that regard because they spend a fair amount of time in the office, yes, but they spend a lot of time on-site at clients' offices. And so um, I think accounting firms beginning 10 years ago began to assess their space and say, well, you work so hard to become a partner and then you've become a partner and you have this office um, and you want that office with the windows and all the rest of it. The truth is that office sits empty for a long period of time. So is there a better way for us to configure our space? And so essentially what, what uh, many accounting firms have done is they built out office space with different categories of offices. So there's a nicer office, let's say, that would be for a partner, but it's not dedicated necessarily to a specific partner. And then there are other offices that are dedicated to associates and other folks in, in the firm. And so a partner might be at the client's you know, headquarters for two days. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the partner comes in, goes to whoever is the front desk person and says, I'm going to be here. They get assigned an office. That office has a, you know, a, a setup and a, a, a phone and computer setup that they just plug in and that becomes their office. So all of their incoming calls come to that phone, all of their email, you know, obviously email is a from anywhere place, but um, but all of their email essentially gets grouped to that spot. They can host meetings there, that's their place, um, at least for that, for that day. So accounting firms have really led the way on this and it is a clear path that, you know, other companies can adopt as well. So that seems right, good in theory to me, but, uh, as someone who often ends up throwing paper on the floor and piles of it lying around, um, that would mean you'd have to be very organized. And yes, I'm similar to you. I'm a, I'm a sort of like, I, I have my list. My list is always handwritten. And so, and I'm adding to my list. So I, you know, my list might be a five page list that I've kept over, you know, four or five years before I clean it out and pare it down and all the rest of it. So yeah, and you're right. That goes on the floor that goes, you know, I like to know where that is. Um, so it is a little foreign for me. I, I, I agree with you, but it has been very successful and, and it has worked. The other big thing that, you know, these firms had trouble overcoming was, you know, they, the, the sort of rite of passage for a person who became a partner in those firms was I work away in a cubicle and then suddenly I get my big corner office, you know. Um, but I would say, the, you know, the increase in over, overall profitability because they are apparently spending less on office space, at least less on a per, per, per person basis, that, that has overcome the objections of the senior partners who don't get their 
you know, their, their one big um, corner office with all the pictures and all that kind of stuff. So it's a little odd, but it is, but it's worked well, I think. That's my understanding. And the other option you mentioned where companies are thinking, well, maybe we need more space so people spread out. Hmm. The underlying sort of assumption there sort of sounds like even if COVID quote unquote goes away, something else will come along or we have to prepare for something like this down the road. Is, is that a fair assumption? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is. It is a little, you know, there's a great quote. Um, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but armies are always preparing to fight the last war. Right. So, you know, they're never they're never quite prepared for whatever the next war is. And so um, you're right. People are, are really um, affected by what's just happened. And so I think many companies are trying to figure out, OK, how do we plan for this? The the key thing before, particularly among finance firms, was to be in a position where you could squeeze the amount of square foot square footage per person, per employee to a very, very low, low number. And that would essentially put employees on top of one another. You know, they were thinking, obviously, A, we're saving money, you know, by squeezing as many employees as we can into, into space, but also to trying to create a collaborative atmosphere in which people would, you know, get to know one another and work well with one another and things like that. Many of those firms are now recognizing, well, it, I mean, we're certainly well, we're squeezing people well within six feet of one another. So we're not having appropriate social distancing, you know, and the question becomes, okay, how, how real is another pandemic? I mean, it, it took from 1918 or 1919 to today to have a, a pandemic and that, you know, affected us in the way that that pandemic did. Is it another hundred years or so, or how, you know, how will it play out? Who knows um, how, how it, it will play out. Um, but it is, there is, there is that thinking though, still of, you know, perhaps we can't jam as many people into the space because we need people to be spaced out because that's not appropriate given the lessons of the pandemic. So there is some of that thinking. And everything you've, we've been talking about, there's a lot of uncertainty with the economy, what's going to happen with the coronavirus, uh, what's going to happen with politics, what's going to happen with everything. It's very up in the air. So this has to be a sort of nervous time for someone like yourself with all sorts of big projects, projects sort of moving along, moving along, and you don't really know what things are going to happen, you know, a month from now, let alone six months from now. I mean, it is, things are uncertain all the time for all of us, right? I mean, it's kind of, it's part of what, you know, what, um, what the way the world works, you know, I, you know, we sit here today on, uh, on Friday morning and uh, yesterday afternoon, the news in our world was that uh, Mayor Walsh is going to be appointed to Secretary of Transportation in, um, you know, in Washington, D.C. We'll have a new mayor. Um, the city council president, um, uh, Council President Janey, will, will take over. Then we'll, there'll be an election. So there's, there's change all the time in our world. It's part of the, honestly, it's part of what makes our job interesting. You know, things are always changing. I think the thing I'm, I've learned over time, this is probably my third or fourth recession, I think. I've been doing this, I'm 57 years old, so I'm, I've been doing this for a little bit. The thing I think I've learned every time is um, no, matter what, no matter how we get into the recession, no matter where we go, at the end of the day, Boston still ends up being a place that lands well within the overall world economy and becomes a, a relatively popular place. We have issues, you know, we, there are issues that 
we've not addressed well. We haven't addressed our transportation system well. We haven't addressed our urban public school systems very well. We, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we haven't done well, um, and we should do a better job of of solving those problems. But I think for the most part, Boston's going to find itself in the right you know place again. Um, the the thing we haven't talked about is you know we talk about office space, but the thing that is really amazing right now is the life science business in greater Boston has grown to be something that is the envy of the world. Um, you know, when we first started this, this business, um, you know, back in the early 2000s or so around, you know, 2000 or end of 1990s, there were maybe one or two companies, but the perception was that it wasn't really going to be a job, a, a, uh, an industry that would produce many jobs that it was an industry that would be hyper-focused on, you know, an area around MIT uh, in Kendall Square. Now you look at it today, there's 40 million square feet of existing life science um, facilities from Kendall Square all the way out to Route 128 in Greater Boston. And these companies, you know, many of them are household names from Pfizer to all the big, you know, drug companies. Many of the big drug companies closed up large campuses, research campuses that they had in New Jersey or Connecticut or whatever, and they've moved those people up to here. So that space is really doing very, very well. And if there's anything that we learned from COVID, these drug companies can really make a difference in people's lives, that's for sure. Um, and so setting up space that is um, you know, appropriate scientifically for them, that is clean, that allows them to quickly manufacture these, these drugs, it's, it's a huge opportunity for Boston. And we lead the world in that respect. So the next chapter on all this could be really interesting again. And your project in East Boston has, as I recall, has is geared toward a, a lot of space in that area, right? Yeah. The, the interesting thing is what's happening now, you know, it's the evolution of this business in the early 2000s. Um, the lab space, which was really, you know, lab oriented, was almost exclusively, uh, as I said, you know, focused around MIT. And in fact, if you didn't have anything in Kendall Square, you really didn't learn too much about the business because it wasn't it wasn't going to go anywhere else. The big change in the last five or ten years is that that space has now expanded way past uh, Kendall Square, and is in places like Union Square, Somerville. It's certainly in the Seaport District um, in a big way. So if you think about the the amount of lab space that's in the Seaport District, our site um, is just across the harbor uh, by the Harbor Tunnel, just past. Um, uh, the, uh, the airport. So we're literally two minutes from the seaport um, by car. And, um, and what's happening with those companies is they're now beginning to produce drugs that need to be manufactured, particularly for manufactured trials. They want those drugs to be in highly specialized buildings because they, the manufacturing process is very technical and highly specialized. But they also want them to be in urban environments that can be populated by the kinds of young employees that they want to have who want to be in urban environments. And so rather than going out to Western Massachusetts or New York State, we think we can be a really good solution for those companies uh, just two minutes from the seaport right at, um, at Suffolk Downs, which we're really excited about. Well, I'm going to let you go because I've, I've taken enough of your time. But um, one last very quick question. Walking around Boston these days, you said you're in at your office. It is strange, isn't it? If you strange. want to go out and get something for lunch, a lot of places are closed now and it's yeah. pretty empty. It's 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 sort of a ghost town, isn't it? 
Yeah, I'm going to walk over to the public market, which is open. Not not all of it is open, but is you know. But I I'm putting a little plug for our friends at the public market. But it it is open. Um, it's strange. You know, I I think it kind of comes back to what we were saying earlier. I mean, I you know, as people you know sort of have this rhetoric of well, gee, is the office really going to be the same? Are people really going to return to the office? Think about our own feeling. You know, we we we're all anxious to get back out there, see people again. You know, Boston is such a small town. My favorite part about Boston is walking across town to go to a meeting and seeing friends and saying hello. It's it's almost Boston is almost like a college campus. Like you, you know, you walk across to a meeting, you see people, you say hello, uh, stop and get a cup of coffee, stop and have lunch with people. We're dying to get back to that, I think. And I think once we if this vaccine, you know, I mean, you know, my politics are pretty left of center. So I'm very happy that in 13 days, we'll have a new president. That president has pledged a million uh, vaccines in people's arms per day till we get to 100 million uh, vaccines in the, in the first 100 days. I think he'll do it. Um, you know, obviously, things to date have not been. We've only had 4 million vaccines put in people's arms just in the last, you know, 30 or 45 days, unfortunately. So we need to focus on this like it's a military operation. So if you project out and you get to the spring, the vaccines have begun to take hold. The weather gets warmer so people can be outside. I would suggest that there's going to be an explosion of people wanting to be outside, wanting to be at events, going to restaurants, going to music, you know, just it's going to be a really um, breathtaking opportunity to get back and re-engage with people. And I'm looking forward to it. And I know millions of people are as well. Well, I think everybody is looking forward to it. Whether it will happen or not, I'm a little, you know, know. I'm paid to be skeptical. So I'm a glasses half full. I'm a glasses half full person. (laughs) Well, Tom O'Brien of the HYM Investment Group, thanks so much for joining us today. And to our listeners, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Bruce.